This is episode 7 of 99% Perspiration. A weekly podcast all about helping creative and artistic types gain the confidence, the insight and the inspiration to pursue your career. Whether that's working for a media organization, getting your work out into the world or even starting your own business. We handle the 1% so that you can handle the rest. This time on 99% Perspiration. A good idea is the nucleus of brilliant design. I think if you can get a really good idea, that's, that's where you'll be head and shoulders above everybody else. And for me, it's all about ideas. Johnny Woods is the creative director of Thrive, a company all about helping businesses to improve their communication and therefore thrive as a business. There is so many artists out there already, and there is more and more, but there's less and less funding these days, less and less opportunities, and you kind of have to find these kind of alleyways, like solo art, you know, you've got to find these opportunities. And that's Adam Wilson-Holmes, a fine artist who recently had work featured at the Solo Arts event here in Sunderland. And finally, our music this week is kindly contributed by ClickChase. You can find them online on Twitter at ClickChase or facebook.com forward slash ClickChaseMusic. As usual, you can contact us on Twitter at 99podcast or email 99percentpodcast at gmail.com. That's the word, not the symbol. I'm one of those lucky people who has known exactly what he wanted to do right from day one, um, right from being a young lad. And uh, my father, my father, my dad was a quite a good artist and used to draw cartoons and stuff like that and got me into drawing and I really sort of had a passion for drawing and that progressed into um, graphic design throughout school and throughout sort of university, college and university. Although I've always had creative skills, I've always been a very good drawer and I've always been creative. That was the, the college gave me the sort of basis of making, giving those skills some aspect of commerciality, if that's a word, giving them some commercial insight into that, those things. And um, two years at National Diploma at the time and then two, two years at HND. I could have went on and transferred that to a degree equivalent, but just wanted to work so much and got out there and got a job straight away. Um, studied at HND at Newcastle University and then progressed on to full-time employment. Um, went through various sort of working at various agencies throughout the Northeast in the UK. Um, and I'd always had a goal in my mind that by the age of 32, for some strange and bizarre reason, I would be doing it for myself. And I managed to do that at the age of 30. Um, and um, just purely down to the the organisation that I was working at the time, I think with a lot of entrepreneurs, the, 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 the driving force was that we think we can do it better than the boss we're working for at the time. Whether that's actually true or not, we don't know, because once you get into it, you realise all the pitfalls and all the issues that they have. But um, yeah, we started an, my own organisation, a company called Echo Graphics, um, and ran that for a number of years, just a small one-man band graphic design agency, and just ran that for a number of years. And it got to the point where I, I wanted to expand, and the, the work that was coming in, I need to expand. We need to take on employees. Um, my background's always been um, designed for print, and obviously um, with the whole 
digital emergence, um, online emergence and digital marketing emergence, I realised that I had to diversify and that, that print wasn't going to be about for a long off it was, it wouldn't be sustainable as much and wouldn't sort of provide me with a lifestyle that, I, that, I, that I, I'm aiming for. So um, diversified and took on web developers and started to develop the business that way. Um, I've had a couple of colleagues that we've worked very closely with um, for a number of years and we decided one, Rachel, who's a co-director in Thrive, um, or is who, who her skills are more strategy-based, marketing and strategy-based, um, and it worked nicely with my creative skills. Um, we'd worked along, alongside each other for a number of years, um, working for some of the same clients where she would provide the strategy, marketing advice, or provide the creative support for that, for that marketing. Um, we decided to throw everything in the pot and merge our two companies um, back in March 2013. And that was when we came up with Thrive as a concept and started to develop it as a business. And not only just bringing the two key skills together, we also brought in another skill and sort of fully got on board with a concept called inbound or, or content marketing. Um, and that was sort of a real sort of pivotal turning point for the business and something that was a, is a very much a niche especially in the Northeast and a USP. And we've sort of embraced that and that's been, become our sort of, um, as I say, it's a niche and it's something that we specialise in. Um, and we're one of only two organisations in the Northeast that can deliver it at our level. Um, we, are a, we were an accredited HubSpot partner. Um, and yeah, from that point, really launching Thriving and really embracing the inbound methodology and using it for ourselves to drive the business forward. And then also offering that service for clients. Um, it's just went from strength to strength over the last two years. I've not heard it being called that before, inbound marketing. But it's a newish form of media that's really kicking off right now. I know it as content marketing. Back in episode 5 of 99% Perspiration, you can hear the craft artist Jem McNair. And we met through a Facebook group called Content Marketing Academy, which I'd recommend any day to make the most out of your own social media and online presence, or as Johnny says, inbound marketing. Next week on the podcast, we'll be chatting to the group's founder, Chris Marr, who also produces a podcast of the same name, the Content Marketing Academy. But why is content marketing or inbound marketing so important? Traditional marketing methods, we strongly believe, do not work anymore. Um, so, for instance... Um, when was the last time you watched an advert on telly? When was the last time you listened to an advert on radio? Or more so, when was the last time you reacted to an advert on radio? When was the last time you seen an advert in a newspaper and went out and bought the thing that that, that bought the product that, that advert was advertising? We've, been, we've come so good at filtering out all these traditional marketing methods. Cold calling, we say the no caller ID, come up on our phone, we won't answer it. The flyers that come through our door, um, letterbox this, just get scrumpled up without even looking at them and going in the bin. The first thing we do if we want a product or service is go to Google and type that product or service into Google. That is the embodiment of inbound marketing. Inbound marketing takes it one further, that one stage further that we try to build digital relationships with people who want our services. So all these free resources on our website like um, 10 tips on creating the perfect logo, um, how to use Twitter for business, how to use Facebook for business, creating um, a workbook for redeveloping your website. They're all tools that will help uh, what we would describe as our buyer personas, the people who need our services, the tools that will help them. 
So it makes their life easier and it helps us build a digital relationship with those people without even meeting them. And that's the theory behind it. We like to position ourselves as a magnet to draw people into us and use that style of marketing that will draw people into us by building relationships instead of going after them with a hammer, like the old style marketing techniques, cold calling, advertising, etc, etc. There was a, a point throughout this process and when we sort of embodied inbound marketing as it's called, it's something that's come from the States and has become very prevalent in modern marketing techniques today, um, where putting all this sort of the resources on the website and the stuff that we've taken a lot of time to develop and a lot of time to um, create and put them on the website and give them away for free. You think, well, our competitors are going to use them and there's all these issues, but yeah, that may be true. There will be competitors and there is competitors that download them. We know that for a fact because we can see that on the, on, on the, through the systems that we have, but hey, they're going to get their hands on it somewhere. And But the, the more important thing is it's more, it's, it's important and it has a real value to our clients or potential clients and that's what helps drive them and push them down that sales funnel. very quick and it was very, I think, I mean, I, I don't like to call me, I suppose I am, I'm an entrepreneur, but an, and I have an entrepreneurial sort of brain, I suppose, but it was very quick and it wasn't one of these issues that, or one, one of these processes that, right, I'm going to start my own business, I'll set this in place, I'll work it out, this, it was just a case of, I finished work one Friday night and I just thought I can't do it anymore and by a week later I had premises, I had a company started up and I was in that premises and working it on the, on my back week two weeks later it was just one of those things that I need to do this I can't work there in this particular place anymore I need to do something and, and I need to turn it around I need to do it quickly um just wasn't enjoying going to work doing what I was doing um fully believed at the time that I that I thought I could do uh, that I could do my own maybe naively so it could well be the case but hey if I think if you don't jump in and you don't take these chances, it never happens. And I think if you plan, take too long to plan them out, or if you take too long to sort of research, it could be that it would never have happened. So I just jumped in at the deep end, and I think, yeah, two weeks was probably the time to form it. Um, at the time, I started it with another colleague, um, and as many partnerships, again, naively, um, it just did, that just didn't work out. Um, and that I was, I was I very quickly reduced down to a, 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 a one-man band. So a lot of pitfalls and the, the learning curve from being a graphic designer or, or, a, or, a, or a creative, and that was my day-to-day -day role, suddenly having to become a businessman. That was the biggest thing, I think. It's, and that's something that people don't realise, that it's, they, they think, oh, I, I would love to do this for myself and do this day to day and, and, and just have it, but it's, it's, it, it, it's often a fact that you, you end up not being that, in that role and it's, you, you turn into something else. You have to, as, as I say, I was a graphic designer and that's what I did day to day, but when starting up my own business, the graphic design was the minimalist part of it. It was more about running a business and it was a very difficult thing to do. I think my, personally, and I think that, I, I think this would probably, um, we could probably say this about a lot of creatives as well that we are not, we, we're not, numbers don't excite us, um, money doesn't to a point excite us, um, 
and uh, having to work on things like accounts and such like is, 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 is very stressful. It's something that we're not good at because we're creative. It's two different side of the, sides of the brain, etc. And there were things that were very, very important to the business that I would often just say, oh, I don't want to even have to deal with that. And that was a real big issue at the, be at the beginning of Echo Graphics and, and, and it did cause us issues. The, I, I took advice and advice that was given to us if, if, if you were not, if there's something that you don't like doing or there's something that you can't do, fill yourself with experts and get experts around you. And that's what I did very quickly. Um, I realised that accounts and, um, and paperwork and such like were not my forte, so I quickly got somebody in to do that as quickly as possible. Um, firstly, on a on a sort of um, basis where it was hourly, um, and then when I got the point where I would take that person on full time, and that was the, was one of the first things because I just I wasn't doing it correctly, and it was causing issues. So, yeah. So much, so much software, so much technology. I think the key thing is the for me, it's all about ideas, and. That's what the key skill is. A good idea is the nucleus of brilliant design. I think if you can get a really good idea, that's that's where you'll be head and shoulders above everybody else. And for me, it's all about ideas. And I think we often so I often push this in the studio with the, the, the creatives next door um, that we employ. And it's all about getting that idea. And it's not labouring ideas. It's not um, sitting down and trying to make an idea work or forcing an idea out it's having an idea putting it in a box to a side and moving on to the next one putting it in the box and don't be critical and don't be self-absorbent and just get those ideas out and when you have a number of them and a good range of them then you can go back and sort of review and have a look at it and see which ones may work and which ones you can develop further and that is the key thing to good design I think and it's not sort of being critical at an early stage um, so all about the ideas and I think the other sort of real level which I see more and more now with when I'm interviewing students or interviewing sort of potential designers is um, we do seem to find that there is a, is a, is a level of, it's not, it, of students who can't handle type. Typography is key, graphic design is typography and I think um, as a graphic designer you have to have that skill as well so it's ideas and typography and for that, for me that's what makes a good designer. When I was going around trying to get jobs in the early part of my career I had a big black A2 portfolio with all my work and it was about that thick. I had all workbooks and ideas and concepts and I think it's progressed a lot more now and I think what we would look for to take on um, a designer we would be looking for that when we were sitting down and talking about what I would be expecting probably now from a potential employee, especially a graphic designer or even more so a web designer as some kind of online um, footprint, a brand built around themselves. I think that's what I would be expecting from a really good quality um, potential employee, um, somebody that was blogging about their creative journey, they were had an online portfolio, they were um, using social media to portray their thoughts and interests and that they're sort of living and eating and sleeping, the, sleeping, being a designer, being a creative. And I think that's probably more important now. I think there can be a lot of creatives who could just come and put down, put that portfolio on the table. And I would expect that and I would expect it to be slick, but now I think I'll, because of the nature of the, the business and the, 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 um, 
the trade I would it's it's moved so much more I would expect the employees to have embraced the digital side of it as well and having a brand built around themselves well yeah I think there's a whole host of resources they're all probably aimed at um, people who are uh, uh, intent potential clients of ours um, and I would say they are sort of um, marketing based obviously and they would be working in organizations as a marketing manager or as a business owner who um, wants to embrace new technology and wants to know more about how to develop their brand or build a website that's going to that's robust robust and fit for purpose and the documents and information that will help them and it's not just the resources it's the, it's a lot of information on the blog there um, so maybe mobile again as they call it a couple of weeks ago um, information about that and how that's affected Google searches and how it hasn't um, how to use social media for business how to um, develop a new website how to um, build a brand and, and develop your brand through various different strategies so all these different informations that are there for small to medium enterprises and just help them develop, develop um, and grow. A huge thanks to Johnny Woods there from Thrive. It really was awesome to speak to someone who'd built up his own creative business from the ground floor. And if you want to check out their website where there really are lots of other great resources online, just head to thriveability.co.uk. From information like the basics of Twitter and Facebook to getting your head around SEO and business buyer personas, plus helpful calendars and checklists and other materials to help you get the most out of your time. It honestly is a great website. Once again, thriveability.co.uk. Otherwise, you can also find them on Twitter at ThriveHQ. Now, back in episode five, you might have heard our interview with Homeside Coffee's co-owner, Joe Collins. Well, as well as regular music nights and monthly writers' book and film clubs, the Sunderland-based cafe also hosts monthly art exhibitions in partnership with a company called Solo. In partnership with an organisation called Solo. Last month, they featured fine artist Adam Wilson-Holmes. A lot of the work I make is all about making people comfortable within themselves. I do a lot of stuff about self-confidence and the conflicts that you have between yourself and the rest of society. So I want to show people the struggles that I've been through through physical artworks where they can then relate to their own lives and gain confidence from that, from the lessons that I've learned. So the exhibition is titled Alpha um, and that is symbol of yeah, masculinity—the whole strive to be the best and the top dog, you know, alpha male—and I found that interesting in terms of the, the you know these bodybuilders and the muscle gods is what you call them. Um, you know, in the queer society, these muscle gods—you know—people worship them, and it's it's just that that whole thing there kind of it's kind of unsettling because it kind of puts them above you like you are treating them as if they are something else of another realm you know they are a god and you are like physically putting them above yourself and i kind of feel some of that confidence in some ways must be taken on for these men it must make you confident if everybody believes you are the best and better than them and i've had experiences myself it does, it does affect you, your own confidence because people expect you to be 
this one thing or they would like you to be this one thing and when you're not I feel like there's a lot of implied shame there um, so the whole ex uh, the whole exhibition is kind of an exploration of that um, so I've got the drawings of these muscle gods this uh, this pile of a hundred jock straps which are all in XXL size that's supposed to be like a like um, a monument or some sort of memorial to like the blood, sweat and tears that these bodybuilders have put in to achieve their own personal goal and I guess in ways the exhibition as well is quite trying to discover what purpose a bodybuilding has and what relevance it has to the rest of the world and if it's doing more damage than good um, so yeah yeah that's what the exhibition's about I don't think any of it's easy uh, this is my first solo show or my actual first show since graduating um, there's plenty of other places I've been to and they said yeah we'll put a show on but then it, you know it's it's not happened there's this kind of thing yeah sometimes what people are telling you is different to what they actually feel and I think it's difficult to find those that are actually genuinely enjoy what you do want that to be a part of what you're doing, of what they're doing, sorry. Um, which is why Soul Arts are so fantastic, because it's given opportunities to all of the local artists, you know. I'm just totally over the moon that they did take the chance, you know, even to put my work on, because it's, you know, my work's often considered very controversial. <laughs> so, um, yeah, to have a place to do that, I mean, Thank God for them. There's even such a fantastic thing for Sunderland, because the only there's only one gallery in Sunderland, and then there's the museum as well. There's very little space for fine art shows, especially for up-and-coming artists and young artists. You know, just graduating. They're great. Yeah, fantastic. There is so many artists out there already, and there is more and more. But there's less and less funding these days, and less and less opportunities, and you kind of have to find these kind of alleyways, like solo art. You know, you've got to find these opportunities. I mean, solo arts was created by Liam, who came to do his own solo exhibition, but ended up taking on this role where we do one every month. You know, it's kind of, it's people like that that we kind of need, and if you've got that drive and that will and that wanting to be a part of it. And the kind of need to be a part of it, part of it, then I think that's the right place for you. Um, but generally, going into the arts, so it's a if you don't depend on it, then you don't need it. You know, like I said, for me, the art was a form of therapy, and that unlocked a lot of things for myself. And it, I, I kind of really need that, you know. But I think if you you're forcing it, then I think that shows sometimes, you know, um, and that's not something I can necessarily agree with. So do what comes naturally, I would say. I'm a fool, I'm just like you, did you try your best, did you fail love's test, I'm a fool, I'm just like you.
back, way, way back. It was um, when I was a young kid. My older brother would be doing these drawings. He was like a year and a half older than me. And the skill difference between children at that level, it's huge. So I always, always really looked up to him. I thought his drawings were absolutely amazing. And I always tried to, I'd sit there with him trying to match his skill and his talent. And yeah, he really inspired me. And then I realised it was a thing that I was, I was really interested in anyway. But there was like this kind of, there was always this slight competition in it. Um, and I suppose that never really left until I started taking art seriously, which was actually my time at university. I started to realise the potential of art. And I kind of, for me, it was a really great therapy. You know, it was it's like a person who you can talk to and tell everything to and then they'll tell you how they feel about it. And, you know, I've learned a lot about myself through making art. Subconsciously, like years later, I'll think about it or somebody will ask me a question, oh, why did you do that? And then it's like, you know, oh man, like, how did that, how did that not hit me in the face? That's just completely snuck up on me, you know? Uh, so it's, you learn a lot from it and you learn a lot about yourself. And I think that's why I was mostly interested because like I said, you can then use that to tell other people and they can learn from your, your, I'm not going to say mistakes, but you know, your journey, they can learn from it, you know, so that's why I feel so passionate about art. Building up a portfolio online and kind of really getting to understand yourself through the work makes it so much easier to be comfortable talking about it around other people. Um, and I think when I met Liam, he possibly felt that the kind of passion and the drive behind it and what it meant to me and how excited I could get about the work. Uh, sometimes it's quite contagious. Well, I think the internet is a massive thing. Um, for me, I've been running a blog for four years now. That's been a really, really good kind of outlet. It's kind of really good for people to see the work, but it's also good for you to kind of see it in a different platform as well. And obviously through through the years of doing it, you can look back and kind of develop yourself from that. But at the same time, you know, the audience as such gets to see that journey with you as well. Um, so I think that's definitely the best way to do it. And once you've got your portfolio there built up and it makes sense to you, it starts to make sense to everyone else around you. Um, I think really when you feel that, I think that's the time to attack and, you know, start shoving it in other people's faces, I guess. A lot of people don't value art as important. It's not a thing that deserves to be paid for necessarily because, you know, people think, not everybody, but there is this tendency to believe that an artist is just happy to get the chance and that you are already given that opportunity so they don't need to pay you because you're already getting something back from it. Um, there's, there is that kind of feeling, especially when you're starting up in your career. Um, I feel like a part-time job is to support living. <laughs> you know, food. You can't, if you don't have food, you can't make art. <laughs> you know, like, a place is shelter, you kind of need that. But yeah, all of the money I can goes into the artwork. And if I ever sell an artwork, the money goes straight back into the art itself. Um, 
I actually sold a photograph last month and all of the money that was made from that actually went into the pieces for this exhibition. So it wouldn't have been able to happen if, you know, somebody didn't take the interest and handed me the cash. <laughs> me and you just I now feel like I've tapped into some sort of creative group which I never knew existed in Sunderland before and yeah I just feel incredibly lucky to have found that because it's, it's been years now because I thought I was kind of locked up in my own there was kind of you know talking about art you get people like oh this is so boring why are you talking to me about this you know <laughs> it's like there is there is those people there like you, you know, there's the create people and I've I've found that group and I guess just finding, you know, like you said, con the connections, they are important because you become a group and you're not, you're not out there on your own, you, you know, it's like an art family almost, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's exciting stuff, so the next step for me, I guess, is to just continue working and keep pushing it'll still be all online be continuous and that and then I guess when the feeling arises to do something else find another exhibition I guess yeah but it's, it's once you've honed that message and you know what it is you want to say um, then you should find the place to speak and find a place where you are to speak for you And if you're interested in finding out more about Adam's work, you can find him on Twitter at A. Wilson Holmes. I want to say a huge thank you to all of our guests this week on 99% Perspiration, to Adam Wilson Holmes, to Johnny Woods, creative director of Thrive, and of course to Click Chase for sending in your music. If you want to find out more about 99% Perspiration, you can find us online 99podcast.com or follow us on Twitter at 99podcast. On next week's podcast, you can hear from Ellie McDowell. She's the series producer of Shortcuts on BBC Radio 4 and senior producer at Falling Tree Productions. And from Chris Marr of learning-everyday.co.uk who produces the Content Marketing Academy podcast. And until next time, stay productive, stay awesome.